0: This is Germ Warfare, the Battle of Ideas. A very warm welcome to uh, my guest, Steve Drain. I I appreciate you joining because this is obviously a controversial um, topic. I mean, we're just
1: Christians trying to uh, preach the Bible in an unvarnished manner. You have to ask people why they get so riled up.
0: What is Westboro Baptist Church and is it Baptist?
1: Well... Baptist, from a standpoint that we believe in, that baptism is a component of of salvation, yeah. But, I mean, Baptist as an organization, as a denominational organization, no. I mean, I wouldn't associate myself with the Southern Baptist Convention any more than I'd associate myself with the um, International Atheist Organization. I mean, what the Southern Baptist Convention is doing these days is they're pandering to an audience. They're preaching for a salary. They're preaching for a pension. Yeah. They're not. Uh, they're not preachers that are sent by God to deliver the unvarnished gospel. So uh, we are Baptists because of that element of baptism, but it's just a name. I mean, we just literally it, you could you could call us Westboro Baptist Church, or you could call us really hated Christian people, and 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 you could use that as our moniker, and it really wouldn't yeah. make a difference one way or another. It's just a name that we've kind of been known by.
0: Why are you hated? Uh, I guess I'm I'm asking a question in the sense of uh, uh, what is your central message? Because that's obviously what makes you so hated, at
1: least in the media. Well, the way you're even asking the question kind of uh, misses the mark. Uh, the, The world has this idea that we have a central message around homosexuality. Yeah. First and foremost, because we have a website that's called godhatesfags.com that somehow our preaching is tied strictly to, to homosexuality. But here's the reality. Mm. We didn't make homosexuality a front burner issue. The zeitgeist did, the, the spirit of the age in our country and elsewhere in the world. Uh, so we're, we're preaching. All we're doing is responding to those central issues in, uh, in mainline social uh, spheres, that have to do with uh, either upholding or transgressing the the moral code of God. So, for instance, if it were another, uh, uh, if if all of a sudden, if you could imagine um, there'd be some hue and cry from everybody that we ought to be able to steal from one another, well, we would probably be preaching a a lot more against stealing. If we had an adulterer's pride parade, going down Main Street where people were proud of the fact that they were um, you know, serial adulterers, sloughing off their wives and bringing, bringing on another one, uh, we would be preaching more against that if we had a rapist's pride parade uh, going down Main Street. But those things are not bloody likely to happen. And so what I'm suggesting to you is we don't preach solely on the issue of homosexuality. The reason why it seems like that's all we do is because that's not such a hot button issue, or at least it has been. It's a to complete, really, but it had been such a hot burner issue in, in in Maine. But we have signs that we hold up that talk about adultery, that talk about killing, that talk about abortion, that talk about lots of other issues that we notice um, are, crop up in mainstream uh, yeah. morality. You, you, but why, because we preach against homosexuality, if that's what yeah. you're asking. Yeah, you,
0: well, <laughs> you you mentioned pickets. Uh, that's also what you've. I mean, I'm I'm halfway across the world in comparison mm-hmm. to you, and and all I know about your church is that you picket in streets and at funerals, um, and and the, and the one issue now that you just covered. What what is that whole uh, objective of picketing? Does it is it is it just to spread a message, does, or does it actually um, inspire change in people's minds? Do you think?
1: So so. First of all, I mean you're you're it sounds like you're asking two two questions. Why do we why do we pick it? And I mean basically yeah. what I call it is um, street preaching. You know, we okay. use signs that have been used labeled as picket signs, but we're basically it's a it's a it's a demonstration, it's a religious demonstration. And the reason why we do that, in other words, that's one of the formats that we use, it's one of the formats we use. We have websites, we have Twitter, we're you know, we're we're up with the kids. I mean we can do that kind of stuff. But the the bottom line is we have to be where an audience is. And so what we'll do is we'll, on our own dime, we'll put signs in some bags and we'll go to the Super Bowl. We'll go to the Grammys. We'll go to whatever the event is. Mm. And we'll hold signs up in the air because that's what we're supposed to do. Scripture says, commands us to go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So that's what we do. And when somebody asks, somebody says something like, well, How effective is your preaching really? You only have 80 people that go to your church and look, there's 7 billion that are against you. My answer is, number one, there were only eight people on the the boat when the flood of Noah came. Mm. There were billions in the world that were destroyed. And so God doesn't rule by plebiscite. Mm. God doesn't rule by a democratic vote or by some kind of majority vote. And besides which, our job is not to win friends and influence people. How... all we're supposed to do is publish the message how it lands on people's hearts is god's prerogative we have nothing to do with that any man who says that he can uh lead a sinner to christ uh is is lying and and certainly not giving god the glory it says by the foolishness of preaching some were saved but it doesn't say that somehow i have some innate ability to move in somebody's heart the heart business is god's business so that's all we're doing is we're the ambassadors of god Bringing a faithful message of salvation to the world, and here's the here's the caveat. People say it doesn't really sound like a message of salvation. They say it's a, it's a message of hate. Yeah. Well, here's the reason why they say this: as they don't they don't understand the difference between the hatred of God and the hatred of man. The hatred of God is not some base human passion like you or I might feel. Mm. The hatred of God is literally one of His divine attributes, as His love, as His mercy is. And if you look to the Scripture. If you look in the beginning of the book of Malachi, which is the last book in the Old Testament, the last book written before the, that interdispensational period, at the very beginning of that book, Malachi 1, 1 and 2 and 3, you'll see that by God's own standard, you can't really understand anything about the love and mercy of God mm-hmm. unless, by contrast, you understand something about the hate and uh, destructive, destruction of God. So we're not, we're not saying something new we're saying really something that the most of the bible preachers around the world would have been saying 2 300 years ago yeah. it's just that since people have they've grown up now in in such a bible ignorant and bible illiterate kind of a milieu they they look at what we do as very strange but we're not we're not we're not doing anything that Bible preachers from two, three hundred years ago, might do. We're just doing it maybe with the same kind of media savvy that somebody else might do it. But
0: um, your your message is very unique and different to the uh, the popular Christian message preached around the world. What how how do you arrive at at that difference? Uh, What what makes you believe that your um, angle? Or your interpretation is, say, more correct than than someone in the UK who's got a different church. Sure. So what I would say is, look, I don't
1: believe that Westboro Baptist Church, the members of West Bob, Westboro Baptist Church, are the only people who um, are are God's elect or who believe right. But I can say that it's the overwhelming majority of churches that you see preach in the in this in, in the Around the corner, in every neighborhood, and every um, Christian uh, neighborhood in the world, all the way to international te- television evangelism, uh, th- they're lying. And here, here we have a we have a, a video. Uh, it's a um, it's a little stark. We have a sign that says "Your pastor is a whore," and it's a little stark for some people. It's a little hard for people to take. But what what we really say in this um, in this little message is is that. In the main, uh, Christian churches operate like whorehouses do. You go go there and you give them some money Mm -hmm. and they make you feel good. If you're going to preach the unvarnished gospel of the scripture from cover to cover without gussing it up, pretty soon you're going to get to the hatred of God. Pretty soon you're going to get to notions of hell. Mm -hmm. And what we have is we have these churches now, that they won't tell you what the scripture really says about your sin. They won't tell you what the scripture really says about your manner of life or your eternal prospects, because if they did so, there wouldn't be people sitting in the pews when the plate gets passed. You understand? They have to have they have to have to money. They have to have a treasury in order to keep that thing going and building their church and those kinds of things. So what we're saying is they're not preachers of righteousness because preachers of righteousness – don't care about how many people they serve. They don't care about how big their coffers are. All they care about is being um, faithful to the scripture and faithful for the to uh, to the God who who made them a soldier in that army.
0: Yeah. So
1: uh, so so what I'm saying to you is uh, what makes us different. It might sound really arrogant to say this, but I, we don't mean it this way at all. What what makes us different is that we're going to tell you the truth. We're not going to lie to you about what the scripture mm. said. And, and quite frankly, if every, if in every pulpit in the world, those preachers would step up to the plate and preach on a uh, notion such as Romans nine thirteen, such as Leviticus eighteen twenty two, such as why did God destroy Sodom? Those kinds of things. Mm. Uh, we wouldn't have the, um, the wicked zeitgeist that we have today. I'm convinced of that. Just, uh, I was meaning to ask you earlier.
0: You you are a pastor at at the church. Is that correct? You preach
1: regularly. Yeah, the um, the scripture makes four words synonymous: pastor, bishop, elder, overseer. When you see those four words in the scripture, you're, you're talking about ordnomy. Okay. Uh, you know what? You know what? Really, I am. Is I'm a minister. In other words, I minister to people. Yes. It's not an office of uh, authority. It's an office of ministration. No, I'm, I'm a servant of the people of the church. Uh,
0: there's a comment from Ruan, uh, and he's, he's, he says uh, that you follow the Bible, but not Matthew
1: 7, verse 1 to 5. Um, I don't know Matthew, that verse of so you... First of all, uh, it's funny that you'd say that. Matthew uh, 7, verse 1 says, judge not that you be not judged. And it was really interesting because a friend of mine, one of the other pastors at the church, and I were talking about this the other day. And he had a sermon recently yeah. saying that Matthew 7.1 is probably one of the three most bastardized and misused and misapplied verses in all of the Bible. Sure. The, the scripture there says, judge not that you be not judged. And I'll tell you why it's misused. It's a very true and accurate notion in scripture, but it doesn't mean what people think it means. If you think about it for a second, if if you say, judge not that you be not judged, and you think that it means that you're never supposed to um, pronounce some kind of a judgment as to whether somebody's doing something right or doing something wrong, it doesn't pass the giggle test of logic because that would mean that the verse itself, every time I say or every time this gentleman says, judge not that you be not judged, You're already judging somebody, and so you're basically countermanding or you're not um, obeying that yourself. It doesn't mean that. Really, here's what it means. It means don't substitute your judgment, your moral judgment, for God's righteous judgment. In the scripture elsewhere, it says that we're supposed to judge righteously. So, for instance, if this gentleman wants to, say, give the, the Bible any veracity or any moral authority, He's going to have to make Matthew 7-1 be in lockstep elsewhere in Scripture where where it tells us to judge righteously. Mm -hmm. In other words, we are supposed to judge. We're supposed to judge righteously. So that Matthew 7-1 can't mean what he thinks it means. What it means is don't substitute your moral judgment for God's moral judgment because if you do that, then your moral judgment is going to be applied against you in that day of judgment. That's simply what it means.
0: What would you say is a everyday example of uh, casting a righteous judgment? Just a a, a, so,
1: so in other words, if 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 I know that I'm talking to somebody and they they want to say they're a Christian, yes, and they say, "Well, I'm divorced and I'm 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 remarried twice." In other words, I'm I'm on my my third wife. What I would have to say, in all honesty, to that person. And certainly there's a a lot of context here. I'm not going to say that to somebody at work. They don't pay me to preach at work. They pay me to do my job at work. But if I'm in a mode where I can do this by God's word, I'm going to say to that person, you know, um, adultery is a sin. And adultery is not one of those sins. And we have the the pews in these churches around this nation and world littered Mm -hmm. with people who want to take the view that, if they got divorced and remarried prior to being called of the Lord, well, then they have this clean slate. But what they don't realize is is that adultery is a thing that you do every single day. So if you if you marry a second woman, your first your first wife is alive, and you marry a second woman every single time you go to bed with that woman, you're 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 committing that adultery afresh. So that would be an an example of something where we said I say. Or anybody in our church says people don't understand what the the standard of God there is, and we're 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 here. To, we're not going to get locked on it just because the our, the contemporaries that we live with don't understand what the scripture says. I'll give you another example. Uh, every time here, here's what we have in this um, in, in this world. We have we from the cradle. What we do is we raise these children. We break, we break their moral compasses because we don't teach them the standard of God, and then we, when they grow up, we'll do stuff like we'll put an M16 rifle in their hands, tell them to go off and fight a bloody war that A, we had no business fighting in the second, in the first place. B, we have no way of really winning, and C, you're committing that sin of murder every time you uh, win the war. But then we also, they come back from that bloody war, and then they have some babies. Well. They have some babies, but then we rip the babies out of the womb to some of these fool American women on the back of their fornication. The overwhelming majority of, of of abortion in this world, in the especially in not in the third world, but in the developed world, the overwhelming um, number of majorities aren't because somebody got raped. It's because somebody wants to fornicate, but they don't want to have the inconvenience of raising a baby on the back of that fornication. So what we do is we rip those babies out of those wombs and we'll call that an abortion rather than calling that killing. Even though we know that you, you can detect a heartbeat in a baby after just a few days, that kind of thing. And then those babies that do get born, we'll raise them that way where we won't raise them with the, with the standards of God. We'll break their moral compasses from the cradle and then we'll say, go and fight this war for us. It, it, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a sick, sad scene, man. Um, so <clears throat> yo, I, I,
0: there are so many comments that I, <laughs> I'm i not going to bother reading um, half of them. What does that say? Uh,
1: brother Continue. You know how you love your, your, your brother? You know how you love your neighbor? There's one place in Scripture and one place only that defines how you love your neighbor as yourself. It's Leviticus 19 verses 17 and 18. And it's the basis for what it is that we do. One basis anyway in that passage of scripture it defines loving your neighbor as yourself by warning them when their sins are taking them to hell and not mm-hmm. suffering sin upon them and it not just intimates but says ex- explicitly in that passage of scripture is that if you don't warn your neighbor when their sins are taken in the hell when their ox is in a ditch mm-hmm. so to speak that you hate your neighbor in your heart so in other words when you coddle somebody in their sin by a bible standard now and I, I know that a lot of people don't like a bible standard but uh, by a Bible standard, if you coddle your neighbor in your sin or you tell them, well, that's okay, it's okay for you to do that, you're hating your neighbor in your heart. And let's just say for a second, a germ that you and I were friends. I mean, it could happen. And we're, we're walking along the road and you're facing me. So you're walking backward and I'm walking forward. And we're just yeah. kind of leisurely walking. In America, we have a thing called a couple skate where you do that. But never mind about that. I'm not going to couple skate with you, but we'll walk. And let's say you're walking backward, and I look over your shoulder, Jerm, and I see that that we're coming up on a cliff. Is the loving thing for me to say at that point, you're coming up on a cliff, watch out, or is the loving thing for me to not say anything or to say keep going? Of course, the only way I can manifest my love for you at that point is to say, hey, Jerm, we're coming up on a cliff, stop. Say it loud enough and say it enough times where you actually stop so that you don't fall off the cliff. That's all we're really doing with our preaching anyway. It's telling people from a moral standpoint, you're falling off a cliff. If you were raised uh, in, a, in, a, in a zeitgeist where your moral compass is broken, now you're an adult. You have the ability, you're a rational creature. You have the ability and the duty to be warned of God of the truth. Quit messing around, read the Bible, and find out what God has to say on these matters. Uh,
0: you you speak a lot about hate, though. Uh, do, you, do you ever speak about love?
1: We, so first of all, if you see on this side of me, This side of me, you got a sign that says "Truth Truth equals Love." love. And I look at those two verses. You got Galatians four sixteen, and you got Ephesians four fifteen. And the other thing I have to tell you is, I already told you. When we're talking about hatred, we're not talking about man's hatred. Mm. That's a base human passion. Uh oh, I think we got cut off there, bro. Uh, No, I'm I'm still here. Can you hear me? Somebody. Ended your session, man.
0: Oh no, let's 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 uh let's get you back. Hang on one second. Hang on, let's get you back. It sounds like I lost you there for a second. Are you back? Are you there? Yes, great stuff. I don't know what
1: happened there. Lost you there. Well, Briefly, but, uh, you like like back. Back. Yeah, you're back. Okay, okay. great. So um, what I was saying there is, uh, w- again, we're not talking about that base human uh, passion that you and I might feel like I hate you or you hate me. We're talking mm-hmm. about an attribute of God Almighty. And yeah. so if if God's hatred is expressed in the Bible, we're going to express it in our preaching. But mm-hmm. we also preach about the love and mercy of God. But I will tell you this. Okay, the love and the mercy of God is reserved for the penitent. The penitent—that means those people who are ashamed of their sin—and you can't, um, you can't be penitent or repentant of a thing that you're proud of. I mean, definitions, words get in the way. So if somebody mm-hmm. is proud of their sin—gay pride parade, gay pride week, pride, pride flag, those kinds of things—you yes. can't repent of something you're proud of, just in a definitional sense. And so, um. God's love isn't reserved for you. God's love is reserved for the penitent. It's a. It would be the most wicked thing that I could ever do is to somehow tell you that the love and the mercy of God is reserved for you while you're sitting there proudly sinning in the face of God and shaking your fist at him. Period. It sounds like you
0: like you've created a very narrow parameter in which to uh, serve
1: God. Um, well, no, the Bible, but the Bible. Um, Creates that narrow parameter. That narrow parameter means that you can't just make uh, the Word of God mean whatever you want it to mean. And it mm. and it does say in the Scripture that we are constrained by by the love of God and by the yeah. the, the commandments of God. So yeah, in a, in a sense, we are. We're 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 very we're narrow in our view, but we're only narrow in our view where the Scripture is narrow in the view. We don't want to have a an opinion other than God's, and there's no sense in anybody trying to reinvent the wheel because what they do when they try to reinvent the wheel you have to start wondering why why are you going to uh, say that god says x when we are we're mm. playing god says why it says they change the truth of god into a lie and they serve the creature more than the creator bottom line is god almighty if you if you credit um, the scripture already i'm on. hearing some strange music coming through here is that? Oh, are not, you hearing probably, it? Not, probably another one of your minions. No, I got no uh, music. You just got mi- mischief going on your deal. Yo. Nobody wants to hear this.
0: Yeah, I don't know if you heard that, but it was quite weird. There was, cool. weird, well, there was some so, weird music playing, but it's gone now. I that's wanted, cool. I wanted to ask you, you, your church pickets a lot at the funerals of dead American soldiers. That seems almost like sacrilege.
1: Uh, so, first of all, if you knew how many, how many. Religious demonstrations that we have uh, accomplished. The, we're talking about less than a tithe. We're talking about less than five mm-hmm. percent of the of the religious demonstrations that we've done are tied to funerals. We did that at a time for funerals for fallen soldiers and for prominent Americans who died for that reason. But we did so at the at the um, funerals of these fallen soldiers because of what my country and the culture of my country was turning those. Um, events into. They were turning them into pap- patriotic pep rallies. They weren't yeah. uh, some uh, uh, grave, sorrowful thing where people, look, dying time is truth time. There's really only a couple times in a person's mm-hmm. life, in their vain life, where they really, really seriously mm-hmm. consider uh, the their manner of life, their eternal prospects, those kinds mm-hmm. of things. And so our preaching at those uh, ceremonies that were really patriotic pep rallies were not for the dead, they're for the living. That person who's in the grave now, they have no more chance to repent. Their space of repentance is gone. But what we were warning the people that were still alive of is, hey, listen, you still have space to repent here. What you ought to do is you ought to humble yourself before God and stop uh, this vanity and uh, be warned of God of the truth. Here's what Solomon, who's the wisest man who ever lived, if you credit the Scripture with with any authority, said. He said at the end of 12 chapters of... uh, figuring out all of the vanities of life. He says, look, let's bring the whole matter to a conclusion. That means the matter, the purpose of a man's life, fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. That's what he said. So that's what we say. But why do you celebrate
0: uh, when there's a disaster or catastrophe of some sort?
1: When you say celebrate, what do you mean?
0: Well, I mean, on your website and on your social media
1: feeds, it will say, thank God for However, many people died. Or so thanking God, thanking God means this: it means first of all recognizing His sovereign hand in it. Okay, that's that's what thanking God means. God didn't go on vacation the day that the Twin Towers fell. God didn't go on vacation those days when you have all those uh, huge brush fires in Australia happening. I mean, what God's not taking a nap. So what I'm telling you is, is when we thank God, first and foremost, what we're doing is. We're recognizing his sovereignty in it. And we're also thanking God that in those sense of those calamities, that that we were given a space of repentance. In other words, uh, when you narrowly uh, escape some catastrophic thing, is it not uh, appropriate to say, whew, thank God? Is it not appropriate to do that? I mean, when people say that we're uh, celebratory, all we're really saying is, look, You guys are messing around with the wrong God here, the God who made you, when you don't want to attribute the falling out of the affairs of men to God. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, you want to be like Reggie uh, White. There's an old football player for the Green Bay Packers. He wants to thank God when he wins the Super Bowl. Are you going to thank God when you lose the Super Bowl? Look, the the Lord God Almighty made it clear. He says, I, even I, am he. I make alive and I kill and I wound and I heal and there's none with me. That's what he says in Deuteronomy. So we recognize that point, And when we're thanking God, what we're really doing is we're attributing to God those things to point out to people that this is not just some act of Mother Nature. This isn't some random occurrence. Got all these things flow from God Almighty. Is there
0: is there a chance that that some of those slogans you're saying are designed to catch attention almost?
1: Well, I will say this, I think they get attention. But most of the slogans, the slogans that we um, put out there are really pithy, um, modernized Bible statements. So, for Mm -hmm. instance, if I say uh, something like, um, um, why did God destroy Sodom? Right. Yeah. I'm asking a question that every every preacher and every pulpit should should ask. Their congregation, because the story of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 19 is a very um, uh, serious matter. If I say God hates fags, well, of yeah. course He hates fags. And, and matter of fact, the Scripture teaches that God hates people. This is something that drives people over the edge. What the, you know, early on in the ministry, one of my dear friends said, you know, I bet you that most people in the world would be willing to give us the fag. It's that God hates that sending them over the edge, yeah. and reality is, is that the scripture teaches that God hates people. For instance, in Psalm 5, 5, it says, Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. Workers. Not workers. Works. Workers. And in Romans 9, 13, New Testament, it says, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Not Esau's clump of sins. Esau the man. And Esau is the standing type in the scripture for all the children of, dis- of disobedience. And so, it, since that scriptural exemplar is made, we're not going to get lockjaw about it. We're going to say it. But it drives people over the edge when they got taught from the beginning with the bastardization of John 3.16 that taught them that God loves every single person in the world who's ever been born into the world, yet you have uh, hundreds and hundreds of verses that speak to hell and people going to hell. Well, what's the, what's the use or purpose of hell if God loves everybody? And quite frankly, it doesn't even, just from a common sense standpoint, it doesn't, um, Make any sense that you've got these, let's say you have twin boys, right? And you're both sitting in front of you and you say to the one, son, I really love you. And you give him some ice cream. And then you say to the other one, I really love you. And you punch him in the face. And then you go back to the first and say, I really love you. Here's a pony. And then you say to them, I really love you. And you punch him in the face. How in the world can somebody with a straight face say, those people that go to hell and those people who are in hell, God loves God loves them, but he sends them to hell. What what kind of a way is that to show your love for somebody to, to send them to hell? It, it doesn't even make any sense for people to say that. But the reason why they say that is not because they think that they're they're espousing some accurate notion of theology. They're yeah. saying that because they want to have the cake and eat it too. They want to be able to send their days away, but say that the, the Lord God of heaven is still going to give them, give them heaven. But it's not going to happen. Oops. <laughs> Do you,
0: do you ever feel like what you're saying could be just too profoundly hurtful or or offensive to others that they just won't accept
1: what you're saying? I will, I will say this, um, my, my response to you there is threefold. First of all, I don't want to hurt anybody. Mm. I don't, I'm not interested in in inflicting any kind of pain on anybody. I, I I'm a. I'm just a mediocre white boy trying to get through this life, loving and serving my creator, knowing that I'm a sinful man and being ashamed of that sin and doing what I can to um, obey God mm. in, in the ways that I understand too. But I will say this, what, what, what encourages me and what uh, helps me is that what we try to say, try to limit what we say to what the Bible says. And what I'll say is, if what the Bible says is too hurtful for you, well, that doesn't say something pretty very good about your soul. The bottom line is, we know that these are awful, awful circumstances that happen when people uh, get through the vanity of this little vain brief life that's a vapor, and then their eternal prospects or their long home, what the Scripture calls their long home, awaits. It's a horrible thing to fall into the hands of an angry God, but the bottom line is, That's what the scripture teaches. And so if I say, you know what the scripture teaches is just too profoundly hurtful for people, then here's what I'm going to have to do on that great and terrible day. I'm going to have to stand up before God and say, you know, God, I would have only served you, but the way you served it up in your Bible, the way you served it up in your book was just too profoundly hurtful for people. So I just didn't feel like I could really say it.
0: What would you do if a lesbian walked into your church?
1: Well, they have. And we say, "Hey, come on in. Here's a program. Here's a, a hymnal. Sit down right over here, please." And hi, I'm Steve. And introduce yourself to them. And as long as they're want, willing to sit there quietly and 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 be fed with the bread of life, we're everybody's welcome at our church.
0: And I guess this is a a no-brainer question, but I have to ask anyway. You you guys are not
1: discriminatory in any sense. No, um, as a matter of fact, you know many of our people. <laughs> it, it gets left off, we get called bigots and racists mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. Well, first of all, we have a sign that says racism is a sin, and people don't mind that sign because most of them swing to that rhythm. Mm-hmm. But also our, our, our uh, founding pastor, Fred Phelps, and several of his children uh, were involved in civil rights work uh, during the civil rights era and beyond, taking on big companies because they, were, they had discriminatory employment practices against uh, people of color. So, you know, and Fred Fred Sr. even got a a um an award from the regional NAACP, I mean, for his work in civil rights. So I mean, when people say those kinds of things, all they're really doing is they're leaning on those ignorant, uneducated ad hominem attacks that almost immediately put you in hot water with everybody. If you say, Well, that person's a racist. Mm. Or they're a bigot. Of course, then at that point you just paint them with a really broad brush. And in your, you should be very sensitive to this in your, in your own nation, based upon where you come from. Yeah. That, that as soon as you paint somebody with that brush, nobody's listening anymore.
0: Do you um, have any connection with Megan Phelps-Roper? I know that she uh, uh, has left your church and has written written about it.
1: Sure. Well, uh, I do. I mean, I have connection with Megan Phelps-Roper in in that I know her very well, and she was a member of this church for many years. That's the connection that I have with her. Uh, I understand that the, uh, she wrote a book. I haven't read the book. Can't, uh, can't, can't imagine um, what she'd have against any of these people. We treated her really well. I think more than anything else, you know, the reason why she left is because she doesn't like these words of God. She wants to blame it on people, and she wants to blame it on erroneous doctrine. But the, the bottom line is this. If, if she left because she thought we were getting doctrine wrong, that would mean that she was a Christian and she just didn't want us to be getting it wrong. Mm. But since she's left out of here, she's basically said she can't even say that God exists anymore. So it's it's kind of a, to me, it's kind of phony. It's a saving face kind of thing. She can't leave out of here. She has to kind of disavow what we believe so that she can save face with people in the world. But she still wants to be, uh, you know, the loving, uh, this is my family kind of thing. She She's kind of all over the board there. But the bottom line is, She has got to save face with the people in that world, in this world. And the only way you can really do that is say that we were wrong. So have at it. But it won't go well for her on that great and terrible day. And it won't go well for any person uh, who has made a a public profession of faith and then gone on out of here and uh, spoken against the church, spoken against God almighty, Mm -hmm. forget the church for a second, spoken against God almighty and, and raised doubts in people's minds as to whether he actually exists, or whether he's actually righteous, or whether he does things right, or whatever. Someone in the
0: comments was asking, do you celebrate Easter and Christmas?
1: No, we don't. And as a matter of fact, so when somebody says, well, but the word Easter is in the Bible. Well, just do your work, and you'll find out exactly what that really means. We don't celebrate those things, because those things have nothing to do with serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Christmas is, in fact, pagan idolatry. If you look over there in Jeremiah uh, you'll see uh, a passage, specific passage, that says, "Hey, don't put ha- don't put um, trees up in your house and decorate them." It, it literally even says that in Jeremiah. So, but the bottom line is this: if you'll do your research, you'll find that during the Crusades, you do not mess with people's idols. So, when the Crusades come trampling through, you know, Welsh country or Scotland and those kind of things, and you have those. Um, Pagan uh, religions that would have their fertility festivals and fertility, mm. you know, celebration of life. So eggs represent that. Bunnies represent that because of the, how quickly they procreate. You say, and you you know, even Jim Gaffigan, an American comedian makes a really funny joke about it. It's like, Hey, you know, don't worry about um, you know, this whole thing. I mean, it, it, I know it's about Jesus, but you know, we can still have our chocolate bunnies. We can still have our eggs, but it's about Jesus. Bottom line is that swirling and mixing of, of 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 pagan and celtic religion with christianity has got nothing to do with serving god and where it comes to uh christmas um what are you doing i mean have you seen what christmas is <laughs> it's got nothing to do with serving god almighty it's got to do with materialism uh, and consumerism pand- pandering, pandering to the flesh but you I mean, come on man but I suppose you could argue that it's
0: also just fun, but particularly for the kids. I mean, is it harmful to the, to the kids? So,
1: so we have lots of fun, but you don't want to have fun in the context of idolatry. I mean, you can have fun and not be an idol worshiper, mm-hmm. or you can have fun and be an idol worshiper. So where we're concerned, we want to have fun without being idol worshippers.
0: Run again in the comments.
1: All sin um, is fun, by the way. you sorry? think about it, all sin is fun. All sin is pleasurable. Do you think that when somebody goes to sin, they're they're, they're sinning because it's going to be um, harmful? They think it's going to be harmful to them or painful? No. All sin is fun. At the time that you're sinning, when you f- steal some money, it's, oh, man, I want this money. When you rape the girl, it's like, oh, I want that thing. Yeah. All sin is fun at the time that you're doing it. Let's just make that really clear. So when you met, put an argument together that says, "Well, have you considered that a thing's fun?" Come on, man, all sin's fun, but then you have to answer for it. But it sounds like you're saying then that being uh, a, a Christian isn't fun. No, I'm not saying that at all. You said that. I'm saying being a Christian is the funnest thing in the world. But here's the thing: the, the, the Lord God's got to give you a heart to know Him. This isn't a Moose Lodge. This isn't a social club. I mean, if if it were that, I would say, yes, it's it's probably not very fun. The Lord gives me a heart to love him and to know him. This isn't a matter of coming together with other people because we just have we want to have our dances on Tuesday nights. This is the this is a spiritual uh, situation where the only people that are here are either here because they have a profound love and fear of the Lord and therefore have a shared bond with one another Mm. or in some instances there are people who are here because they just don't know how to leave this is the only culture that they've ever known and so they kind of you know cleave cleave to it and cling to it and and they're false professors and at some point they either leave or something else happens but the the reality is is that there's nothing better to do in this world than to serve the lord god and so uh, man, man, how the heck are you going to say that I said it, being a Christian is not fun? It's the funnest thing in the world.
0: Ruan in the comments, again, uh, is asking, do you believe in freedom of thought? Um, and of course if, I do. And, and if you do, uh, then why are you trying to change people's thoughts?
1: I'm not trying to change people's thoughts. That's That's another misnomer about what it is that we do. Mm. I believe that religion is a matter of conscience, and people ought to be able to believe and think whatever they want to. I'm not here I'm not here because I think I can change your mind. It does say that uh, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. What we do is we put forth scriptural arguments for why it is that the, the Lord God says to do this, that, or the other thing. But the bottom line is it's a matter of conscience. I know that trying to c- convince somebody to believe a thing when the Lord hasn't worked on their heart, changed their heart so that they would believe a thing— Is a fool's errand, and what you've got is you've got religionists all over the world thinking foolishly that they can change a man's heart. You can't do that. So for that person who asked that question, please let them know, Well, I guess I'm letting them know, uh, no, we're not. I do believe in freedom of thought, and I I don't believe that I'm uh, interposing some, I'm forcing some thought on them. I'm just telling what, what the Bible says. How that lands on a person's heart is God's prerogative. I have nothing to do with that. Um, and none of my brothers and sisters do, by the way. And they all work to serve the Lord every day. There's a very interesting
0: uh, a parallel to to what you, uh, Westboro does. And that is testing the um, limits of freedom of speech. Now, I know that a few years ago, there was a huge freedom of speech court case won by your church.
1: What? There was?
0: Uh, uh, if I remember correctly, it... Uh, Oh, are you are you playing me or or do you know what I'm talking about? I'm
1: not playing you, man. It's, I mean, you know, just showing you how fun it is to be a Christian. <laughs>
0: um I I'm obviously because I'm a cartoonist, freedom of speech is quite important to me. Um but yeah. you guys seem to test that barrier with with it, in many people's minds it, it's a weird conundrum because a lot of people don't want to support you, but then when you win freedom of speech cases, you kind of go, well, yeah. they they
1: they're on point yeah whatever i mean so do, is there a question in there somewhere
0: <laughs> oh no i was just i was just saying that yeah
1: the- it's 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 very it's it's difficult because on the one hand if you're a champion of free speech you have to say that the supreme court got it right and by the way even the guy who sued us very yeah. recently in a story if you look it up he even say that this is supreme court got it right <laughs> but never mind about all that uh, you have to be it's somewhat loosely embracing us because of our stance there but ugh, the message is terrible and so typically what you'll have to say is you'll have to formulate some kind of a statement that says we believe in the freedom free expression of, of thought as reprehensible as it might be at times you know you have to do that kind of stuff but the bottom line is all here's what how silly it is guys all we're saying is what the Bible says so you're not really mad at us you're mad at God. You're mad at the God who wrote that Bible, who put his revealed will in this earth. Because we're not saying anything. And, and whenever we do say something that's that's fundamentally different or in uh, contradiction to the word of God, we're in error. What we do is we strive to to be faithful to that doctrine and to deliver it in fidelity and to not speak beyond what the scriptures can say. And so when you're mad at us, you're really mad at God. Sorry. if... If God, is, we love you. if God is omniscient, we love you enough to tell you the truth. Right. But you understand, you, you got a whole bunch of people out there that aren't going to tell you the truth. We're going to tell you the truth. Now, you might not like that truth. And a lot of times people don't like the truth that they're told. But what right? if you're not telling the truth? Okay, well, we'll find out, will we not? You know how I can know? You know how I can have, have a pretty reasonable certainty that I, that I'm telling the truth? Because I can read. All you gotta do is crack open that Bible. And if, if if what we're saying isn't what the Bible says, well, call us on that. But if, if all you're saying is, well, the Bible just could be a book written by a man and all that kind of stuff, well, you take that happy thought on into eternity and you see how that does for you. I'm just telling you right now that we everybody has a leaping off place, do they not? Our leaping off place is, is that the scripture is the inerrant word of God. That's our leaping off place, and that's that's where we try to be faithful to that so, word. So let me let me understand you. you know what it says? Hey, do you know what it says in that word, by the way? Check this out. Twelve little words. You tell me how you interpret this away, Germ. Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind, it is abomination.
0: But you what's, know the what's the very yeah. next verse? I, I I know that verse quite well in Leviticus, but what's the very next one?
1: So so check it out. We've got a, Let's pull it up. Because my. Yeah because well, the next
0: verse hand. that next verse suggests that that my wife mustn't be in my house for seven days once a month
1: Do, does it mean that are you trying to tell me that that somehow you can interpret away the idea that a man shouldn't lie with a man the way he lies with a woman no all you're about, all you're talking about is the menstrual period are you not talking about that yes I'm talking about that but i'm 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 I'm, I'm, I'm asking I'm for not, consistency I'm not... Uh, how is is what I just said inconsistent? How is what the Bible said inconsistent there? Please explain to me how those two commandments are inconsistent with one another. Well, let's assume... You're talking about about internal consistency of that text, are you not? Yes. So tell me how those two... See, what you just did is you almost went ad hominem there, but not quite. What I'm saying, I'm asking you, just as a matter of intellectual Mm. uh, honesty here, how are those two verses inconsistent with one another? Well, let's assume that that, that that verse
0: that you read now is saying that that men must not sleep with men, right? That's but let's not
1: assume that. Let's say it, it, you're, you have to really, really stretch things out to say that it's not saying that. But okay,
0: right. Okay. But now the very next verse, and I don't, I don't have a Bible with me here, forgive me. But okay. if, if I remember correctly, the very next verse states that women are unclean once a month. are and they need to be cast aside for that period of time they 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 cannot be part of
1: society no 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 be careful there i'm gonna pull it up for you okay i'll wait there we go okay so here's what it really says you said that the verse after the verse that I quoted, which is Leviticus 18.22, mm. speaks to a menstrual period, and it doesn't. Doesn't it? What, what well, does it speak to? Listen, in 18.22, it says, Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is abomination, as I just said. Then the next thing it says is, Neither shalt thou lie with any beast to defile thyself therewith. Neither shall any woman stand before a beast to lie down there too. It is confusion. In other words, the thing that happens right after homosexuality is bestiality, and both of those things God says don't do. Germ, it's saying don't lie with a man if you're a man, don't lie with a woman if you're a woman, and don't lie with an animal if you're a human. Leviticus 18.22 and Leviticus 18.23. Now, if you want to, on a different note, Have a discussion about the menstrual period of a woman. We can do that. But I'm trying to tell you that if you're going to find out what the Bible really says, open it up and be warned of God of the truth for yourself. Be intellectually honest enough to look at the scripture for what it says rather than go on somebody else's hearsay, on somebody else's weak argument that you've kind of heard presented in in, in some other uh, way or shape or form. Mm. It's saying some very reasonable stuff. Don't have sex with animals. And if you're a man, don't have sex with another man. if you're a woman, don't have sex with another woman. How much clearer that can you be than that? And people want to say, "Whoa, you Bible, you can interpret. Every... You can't interpret those things away. That's very clear, ringing English. And if you go back to the Hebrew and the Aramaic of those verses, you'll find that those verses say that. Don't say I, something I,
0: that. Someone has uh, very politely corrected me and said that the, the verse I'm referring to is Leviticus
1: 15.: Is that I correct? It's in a different place in the Bible. What I'm saying to you is, you you started this proposition off by saying, what's the very next verse? Yeah, sorry.
0: Okay.
1: And and I'm not going to hold you to that and saying, well, but the intellectual dishonesty here has to do with Mm. you weren't carrying your own water where you actually researched the verses. You were carrying the water of some other argument that you heard at some other point that the very next thing it says Mm. is contradictory. No, the very next thing it says is not contradictory. The very next thing it says is something that you teach your children, which is don't have sex with animals. Is it not a reasonable thing to tell people not to have sex with animals? That's the very next thing it says. Mm, mm, mm. So sorry about that.
0: No, no, so, that's fine. But I think you are aware of the verse that I am referring to,
1: though. Is that what you really want to do? Is you want to talk about the menstrual situation now?
0: Well, I. I... Yes, I wanted to ask about that because because I, I wanted your your response to that.
1: All right, I'll give you my response to it. Now, what verse do you want me to look at here?
0: Okay, so in the comments, someone said that it's Leviticus fifteen. I think it is.
1: No, but that's that's a chapter. You got a verse for me? Um, i it. I'll find it.
0: No, he doesn't. But there he are, are
1: thirty three chapters in Leviticus, but let me move this <laughs> up. Here. That's all right.
0: Oh, yeah, and there's another verse. I guess it's somewhat related. It says, Leviticus 19.28. You shall not yep. make any cuts in your body for the dead or make any tattoo marks on yourselves. So I'm, yeah. guessing, I'm guessing that speaks about uh, piercings and tattoos.
1: Well, it, it, that might be the, that might be the um, modern equivalent to that. Mm. But that actually, that actually was a, a specific practice of specific uh, pagan religions at that time. And they were generally signs of mourning. I'm not going to necessarily make that um, that stretch to say, oh, a, a cutting means a piercing. You know. Mm. Bottom line is this, um, I'm not going to sit here and tell you uh, that the Bible unequivocally says you ought not to get a tattoo. Mm. What I'm saying is this, quit majoring in the minors. That's not really what's at issue here. Focus it's not- on, you
0: Focus ought- on the big picture you know, is what you're saying. You know.
1: You don't have an issue of somebody who fundamentally uh, keeps the commandments of God, but then goes to seed on the issue of whether or not they can have a tattoo. What you have is somebody who literally in the main will uh, take umbrage with the, with the uh, commandments of God almighty on many fronts and, and have a tattoo. In other words, they're not really mad at God because they've they've kept all of his commandments and yet they have a tattoo and therefore they think they're going to hell. That's just a, that's a silly specious argument. Mm.
0: Um, all right. So there are, there are a lot of comments. Um a question you
1: yeah, very popular, um a question, uh,
0: a question I want to ask you, Steve, if you don't mind, is you you often speak, or at least your church often speaks about repent, repent. What does that yeah. actually mean? And how 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 do you respond to somebody who says I've repented?
1: That's a really good question. And the bottom line is um, repentance is not a thing that a man can just do intellectually. Like he decides I'm going to lose some weight. I, I know you look at me. I need to lose some weight. Sorry about that. I'm working at it. But what I'm saying, if somebody decides they're going to lose some weight, what they do is they stop eating so much food. They get on a treadmill or something like that. Right. That's a thing that you you have control over. You can do. But what I'm telling you is the gift of repentance is a spiritual gift of God. And what it really literally means is you go from doing a thing and liking to do it and maybe not even thinking that there's anything wrong with it to uh, having a notion in your heart that you you don't want to do it anymore. You know that it, 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 because repentance is not just a matter of stopping a thing. It's doing the right thing for the right reason, Yeah. which is. In yeah. other words, I don't want to do this anymore because... God almighty says not to do it and I'm transgressing his law and I'm disobeying him. He's who I owe my everything that I have and everything that I am to. He gave me breath of life and I'm sitting here doing something he said not to do. I want to I want to quit. That's not something that a man can give to himself. He can't give to another man. It's a gift of God. And what I'd say there is so that's that's scripturally what it means to repent. So you so you say, well, if somebody comes to me and says that they have repented, I'm like, cool, come on, let's go over here and we'll talk about the word of God. Mm. But at some level, Germ, repentance means that you wanna stop doing the thing that you were doing before. It carries with it the notion that you're not only sorry about it, but you wanna stop. So if if you're a little kid and you reach up into the cookie jar and you got caught with your hand in the cookie jar and you say, oh, I'm so sorry, mom. Then tomorrow you go up there and cook. At some point, that sorry doesn't really mean anything. And what I'm saying to you is Mm -hmm. our job as Christians is to help one another, not to wag a finger at one another, to help one another. And so if you say that you have a repentant heart and you want to serve your God, I say, go with us the way is good. And I want to talk to you and I want to help you and give you the very best that I have. But if your walk doesn't reflect a repentant heart, the words ring hollow after a while. Did Jesus die for everybody? No, there's no scriptural support for that. And when people want to mangle John three sixteen, I, I'm really appreciated the fact that you're that your that your um people here are feeding you questions. John three sixteen is one of the most bastardized word uh, verses in the whole Bible. What what Armenian? Now I'm not talking about something somebody who's from Armenia. It's an Armenian, Jacobus Arminius, who was a famous preacher at some time, and he was a proponent of of what is called universal salvation. That means that every single person who's ever lived is a a recipient of salvation. So the first thing I'll ask you is just um, the concept of this. If everybody's saved, what do you need saving from? The whole idea of being saved means that there's some element of danger that you need saved from. And if everybody's saved, you know, the old logical uh, expression goes, if everything's orange, then nothing's orange. There there, there needs to be a, a category of orangeness differentiates things that are orange from things that are not orange, right? Mm. So if, if, if salvation is for everybody, then what does anybody need saved from? But, but there's another logical thing that you got to look at, and that is if somebody claims that all instances of a class exhibit one characteristic, like all crows are black or something like that. And you can find one counterexample to that claim. Well, that proposition fails. So if you say the Bible says that that all people who have ever been born are saved by the blood of the Lamb, or God loves them all, which is a way of saying that, and you can find a place in the Scripture that countermands that, that position fails. And all you got to do is go over there, Romans 9.13, where it says, As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Not Esau's clump of sins, Esau the man. And he's a standing type in Scripture for all the children of disobedience. So so what I want to say is when people say that the the Bible preaches that God loves everybody, it's called, number one, it's called wishful thinking. I'm sorry that I'm popping your bubble here, but there's another place in the Scripture that specifically talks about people who preach that. And it's in Malachi 2.17. Tell all your people who are popping up some Bible verses here to go over there to Malachi 2.17. I'm not even going to bring it up, and I'll tell you exactly what it says. It says, Ye have wearied the Lord with your words, yet ye say, Wherein hath we wearied him? In that you say that everybody that doeth evil in the sight of the Lord is good, and he delighteth in them, or God loves everybody, and where is the God of judgment? In other words, there is no hell for people. If you... The scripture specifically says, if you go around preaching that God loves everybody, whether they do stuff that's evil, whether they do stuff that's good, and he delights in them, no matter what they do, you're preaching a false doctrine and you're wearing the Lord with your words. That's that's for you. Everybody who says that John 3.16 means that salvation is universal, all I got to tell you is read Malachi 2.17
0: someone in the there comments is asking uh do you eat we ended
1: our session again oh, just- i don't know if i'm supposed to come back on or not yeah just hang on one sec i'm gonna try to come back on one more time
0: yeah one sec just get you back on
1: are you back are you back are you some more but i think my time's come to a close man you want to do this again sometime
0: we absolutely can. Can I can I ask you maybe just one more question that someone's because there's a lot of questions in the comments and I know I know you have to go, uh, but someone's asking, do you eat a, <laughs> a shellfish? Uh, oh, but-
1: man, the, the old shellfish argument, right? So all you have to do is go over. There's a difference in, in the scripture. Please listen, people. I'm not being facetious here as much as the question is both specious and facetious. There's a place in the scripture uh, that it, it's called Peter at Joppa. You'll go over there in Acts uh, 10, Peter at Joppa. There's a difference in the scripture between the moral law and the ceremonial law. The moral what they call washings. in other words, it has to do with dietary restrictions and those kinds of things. If you go over there to uh, to Acts 10 and read about Peter at Joppa, where the the Lord showed him in a vision that everything is good to eat when given when when given uh, Thanksgiving is given for it. Is, that's a metaphor. It's not only for the idea that only certain things were good to eat, like the Jews were the chosen people of God, but that the Gentile world, it, it, uh, salvation is opened up to the Gentile world at the at the, um, at the uh, hanging of the lamb from mm-hmm. the tree. So what I'm telling you is is that you have to go deeper in your theolo- theology That saying, ooh, gotcha, you've got a red lobster. That, that's got nothing to do with serving the living God. And I'm telling you right now that all of the dietary restrictions that were put forth in the Levitical code were um, ended at Peter at Joppa at um, Acts 10. So please read that. I don't mean to uh, to tell you that the scripture contradicts itself. I'm just telling you that those ceremonial washings, that the ceremonial law there was, was, was put there to put those people, to bring those people into discipline. But there's nothing fundamentally sinful about not only eating shellfish, but eating food without washing your hands and all that kind of stuff. And
0: then, one question from me personally um and then and then we'll 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 say cheers and I'll definitely uh, get you back on next year we can continue there's a lot of comments a lot of questions uh, but I have a question for you and out of out of a, a scale of 1 to 10 10 being the most certain one being the least certain how certain are you that you are on the right track
1: so on this day I'd have to say it's a 10 and here's why I can't explain it. You, you understand, Jerm, for 35 years of my life. Well, I could not say 35 years because I was a happy good, lucky kid like everybody else. But during my adult life, I was, uh, a, um, I was a libertarian. I was a fairly well-educated man, uh, very arrogant, very self-assured, uh, smartest guy in the world. Just ask me, I'll tell you. Uh, but the Lord did something to my heart, and, and I can't really explain it. And it doesn't have to be demonstrable. I mean those it, people who are out there whether you're a rationalist or whether you're an empiricist all i can tell you is this i know that my that i am internally persuaded and it was pretty stark and it was pretty 180 mm. internally persuaded that um i know that my redeemer liveth and from that day to this you have some kind of ups and downs and as you go along there and as you get persecuted and as you get you experience afflictions and you're ashamed of your sin and all those kinds of things. Mm. But I can tell you right now, for the last uh, 20 years, uh, all I've wanted to do is, is serve the God, serve the God of the Bible, serve the God of my creation. And that means a lot of things. That means trying to be a proper husband, means trying to be a proper father, trying to be a, a proper brother to my brothers and sisters in Christ and to try to be a proper ambassador. And I I fail more than I succeed. I will tell you that. But um, that's still what I want to do.
0: Steve, thank you very much for for joining me. Please. If
1: you enjoyed this podcast, please visit supportgerm.com.